0: Hello Techler community and welcome to Surveillance Report 27, recapping everything that's happened the past month. Yes, it's been a while in the privacy world. Today is a very special report because we are doing a special with a co-host, Nathan from The New Oil. His website is thenewoil.xyz, which you should 100% check out. They have an amazing website with amazing privacy resources, which I'll leave in a description. And he's running a podcast very similar to Civilian's Report for a good while. And we decided to merge so we can bring weekly news to you with Nathan's fantastic podcasting experience. So thank you so much for coming on, Nathan. It's a pleasure to have you. Today's special includes a couple new sections to reorganize things, mostly from Nathan's podcast and some of the ideas that he had. Um, So it's going to change a little bit how surveillance report is done, hopefully only to make things better, and Nathan and I will be switching stories along the way and occasionally chiming in together to discuss an issue. Starting next week, Nathan will be doing the entire report himself, and I'm thrilled to see it come together. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and start with data breaches. Nathan, do you want to start us off?
1: Sure thing. Thank you. So the first story we have this week is OpenWRT reported a data breach on their forums. And for anyone who doesn't know what OpenWRT is, it's a router firmware. It's open source, kind of like Linux. Uh, I actually have a similar fork called DDWRT on my router. It's awesome. It's super powerful. And a lot of these projects come with a forum where you can go online, you can ask questions, get help from other users. They're super helpful. And unfortunately, one of the admins for OpenWRT, their account got hacked and... According to the article, they're not really sure how this happened. He said he was using a good password. He or she, excuse me, said they were using a good password. But they did admit they didn't have two-factor authentication. So that could be part of the problem. So the lessons here would be to use a strong password, to use two-factor whenever it's offered, but also to use masked email addresses and usernames that don't really give away much about you, like the common first name, last name, or something like that.
0: Thanks, Nathan. And our next story in data breaches comes from the Scottish Environment Protection Agency who suffered a ransomware attack where cyber criminals stole 1.2 gigabytes of data in the process. So for those who don't know, ransomware is when someone essentially holds your files and data as ransom. And this would prevent the people from getting a hold of their data where they have to pay money, typically in Bitcoin, to access their files. Pretty much the reason why this is such a big deal is they have refused to pay payments and now they are still suffering the consequences of it months later in addition to all their files being published online. There's not really a takeaway for an end user like yourself uh, unless you are affected by ransomware, but it, it is always a decision for you to make in regards to whether or not you pay the ransom. The best way to handle ransomware is to prevent getting ransomware, uh, checking for phishing attacks, really learning and educating how to use the internet and how to avoid the big common gotchus, like not clicking on obviously fake advertisements and also checking the emails in your domains to make sure you're not getting emails from anyone malicious.
1: So Ars Technica posted an article this week about a phishing scam that had a really interesting twist, and it was that the attackers, once they stole whatever information they were trying to get, they didn't secure it. So all the information they stole became open record, just kind of like kind of like most of the data breaches I talk about, which are unfortunately the result of unsecured AWS buckets and things like that. The reason I wanted to share it was because it just shows that you never know when your data will end up public. It could be a, a first first link in the chain, like again, the unsecured AWS buckets. It could be the criminal. It could be like the last story where the criminal shares it on purpose, so... I think this story just really highlights the importance of protecting your data and being careful what data you hand out in the first place because once it leaves your hands you
0: have no idea where it'll end up Um, our next article has to do also with ransomware and it's pretty much talking about how ransomware victims that have backups are paying ransoms to stop hackers leaking their stolen data a little bit of context ransomware sounds like it's the sketchy guy in his basement doing an attack these are actually very professional attacks if you go online and see some of these screenshots there are actually like help forums and contact pages for these companies, and they even have review systems. So you can review if your attackers actually gave you back your data. Um, it's a whole marketplace. It's really fascinating. And there's two concerns if you're a company that was hit by a ransomware attack. The first is getting access to your files again. That's the first concern. And the second concern is making sure that the data that they stole isn't published anywhere. So as always preventing ransomware is the best thing to do and if you're not going to prevent it at least perform consistent backups so in case you do get ransomware, if that's a verb um then you at least have a backup of all your data
1: and our final story in data breaches this week a cyber criminal has leaked the data of 2.28 million dating site users which is a lot so as i'm sure we all know with the global pandemic online dating is more popular than ever A particular dating website called meetmindful.com suffered a data breach. And there's not a whole lot of details on how the attacker got in. And among the data included are real names, email addresses, city, state, and zip, even latitude and longitude, uh, body details, marital status, date of birth. Fortunately, Passwords were hashed, but there's also Facebook user IDs. So, I mean, these criminals have everything they need now to identify every single user. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say don't use online dating because I, I get it, especially nowadays. But definitely, like like Henry said a moment ago, just be careful what you put online because you never know when the wrong person will get access and it'll become public record. Uh, especially with dating sites, you never know if somebody's going to screenshot something and share it around So just be vigilant and be careful what you put online in the first place. And as always, use strong passwords. It says here again that the account passwords were bcrypt hashed, and fortunately bcrypt is one of the best hashes out there right now, but that still relies on you using a good password in the first place. Let's go ahead and move into the company section, and we're going to start off with a really big story that first started happening in December. There's a company called SolarWinds that provides networking hardware to a large number of companies. I believe the number was somewhere in the 400s out of the top Fortune 500 companies in addition to numerous federal government agencies here in the U.S. And they recently found out in December that they had actually been hacked. Their network was accessed by Russian state hackers. Again, these were high-profile Department of Homeland Security, uh, Microsoft, all these companies. So just to kind of put in context for why this is such a big deal, I covered this on my own podcast a while back, and the comparison I gave was that this is similar to someone walking into your home and making themselves comfortable and making a sandwich, and that's basically what just happened with this story, is Russia just had total access to all our networks. This was a a really big deal. It's still developing, and it's still something the U.S. is trying to recover from, but very very big story that we should all be keeping our keeping an eye on as it continues
0: to develop. And on a more individual level, so a lot of things happened in regards to parlor, deplatforming and a lot of these different things we're going to talk about today. Let's go ahead and start with parlor and the riots. Uh, for those who don't know, I really hope you heard about this. There was a massive riot that happened at the capital of the United States and pretty much the massive social media platform parlor which advertises itself as being a freedom oriented platform, was one of the reasons why they're able to track down everyone who was there. So Parler decided it was a good idea to keep metadata of all their images, all their text messages, everybody who was talking, and this is a reoccurring theme constantly in a privacy community. What we're seeing with Parler is people have pretty much taken all this data and all of the all of the metadata and put it together to form who exactly was at these riots. So there was a website published with every face from Parler Capital Riot Videos, um, it took all 827 videos and it put them all together. It also tied the location data of the images taken to figure out who was going into the building at what point in time and who they were. Um, generally speaking, you want to strip your metadata before you ever upload anything. Uh, as a side note, kind of a funny story when the riots were happening, uh, I was running with some friends and I was telling them about how, hey, um, I wonder what the IT staff's going to have to deal with in, in the Capitol because theoretically, they should assume every device has been compromised. And sure enough, a story came out saying that after the riots, the Capitol Hill IT staff face a giant security mess where they're kind of having to manage. And you just have to assume from a cybersecurity perspective, everything was compromised in that building.
1: So if you are a user of the app Signal, then you probably noticed about two weekends ago, I think it was at this point, it was out for about 24 hours. And to kind of recap why that is, WhatsApp is, or at least was, I don't know if it still is unarguably the most widely used end-to-end encrypted messenger in the world. However, WhatsApp announced earlier this month that they were going to start changing the privacy policy. And fortunately, a lot of people actually read it for once and realized this is not cool and we're not okay with these changes. Add on top of that that immediately after this happened, Elon Musk tweeted, use Signal. So earlier this month, a massive exodus began from from WhatsApp to platforms like Signal and Telegram were the two most popular that everybody jumped to. Signal was unfortunately unable to keep up with the sudden spike in demand, and they crashed over the weekend. Again, this was last weekend. But, fortunately, they were able to secure some new servers, get everything back up and running within 24 hours. As a result of this backlash, WhatsApp has actually decided they're going to delay the change in their privacy policy by three months. However, I think it's worth noting that's only a delay. So, if you're a WhatsApp user, don't slack off on this because i i think this is my personal conspiracy theory i think their hope is that by delaying it you'll forget about it you'll kind of get lazy and you won't change so this is your opportunity to do your research and pick a better messaging
0: app yep it's also a good chance to share signal with other people there's no better chance to get people off of whatsapp with all this story and attention coming onto them um one uh i I did want to ask you nate uh how does it feel uh one person tweeting two words accomplished more than millions of people <laughs> after years. <laughs> you know, I mean,
1: the important thing is people are starting to take it seriously and they're starting to value their privacy. And I, I think even if it's Elon Musk who, uh, no, no offense to him, he's not a cybersecurity expert or anything like that, but you know what, if he's getting people to value their security and their privacy – I'd call that a net win. Personally.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. It's a net win, though it does hurt me a little bit inside that like people just look up to the WhatsApp stuff as if it just happened when they've been doing this for years. And just because they're being a little bit more transparent about it, now everyone gets it. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Big net win, though. That's for sure. So next up, we're going to talk about browsers. Mozilla has announced a Firefox design refresh that might be coming soon um, to hopefully make Mozilla feel a little bit more modern, which I don't think it really feels right now um Brave finally integrates with IPFS. Pretty much, IPFS is a protocol to help enable a decentralized web, and Brave integrating this really brings us into the mainstream, and it is amazing in regards to just getting it in front of people. And finally, Chrome. So Chrome has upgraded to version 88, which is finally laying Flash and FTP to rest. Which I know, guys. Like I played Ninja Kiwi. I played Bloons Tower Defense. Look. I get it. Flash is awesome. All right. But um, it's kind of a security nightmare. And it's been that way for years. And they've been saying that they're going to kill Flash for years now. And it never really happened. So it's nice that this is actually finally happening. And we can move away from Flash for- finally for good.
1: I just got to say, uh, balloon tower defense is definitely my guilty pleasure.
0: Oh, which one's your favorite? Like, this is this is an important question.
1: <laughs> okay, well, whatever the newest one is, I I like it. But I still have a soft spot
0: for the one right before it. Four. Okay. I, I never got into four much. I think three and five are my favorites. Like
1: I gotta check right now. Yeah. Now I'm,
0: now I'm looking it up on my phone. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, they are up to six. Oh, they like, did. So... That's brand new. Then.
1: Oh my goodness. Um. No, it's been out for a while. Six is great. Five is great. Okay, so moving on to our other miscellaneous company stories, Apple has released privacy labels into the App Store. I will openly admit this. When I first heard this story, I was like, eh, whatever, this isn't going to be very effective. It's going to be just like a regular privacy policy. It's going to be technically correct, but mostly useless. I stand corrected and admit that I was wrong. I, When these came out, the same day they came out, I went to the App Store, I use iOS, and I took a look at it, and I was very impressed, so... These are really, as you can see on the article here, the screenshot, these tell you data that is used specifically to identify you and track you and data that is not used to identify you and data that is used for diagnostics. And if you click on it, it even gives you a detail like what specifically, like you can see here in the screenshot, contact info. If you click on that, it'll tell you what they mean by contact info, your phone number, your email address, whatever the case may be. This is actually a really, really cool feature. I'm really happy that Apple rolled this out. And I just hope that people will make use of it because it's very simple to
0: understand and it's very comprehensive. Did you see that Google still hasn't updated their apps? <laughs> it's been like over a month since Google's updated any of their applications so that they don't have to put this in.
1: I've, I've heard that, that they they still haven't updated it. And <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of
0: claims that it's because they don't want to disclose it. So next up, the company that processes payments for Amazon and Swiggy has reported a data leak of over 100 million debit and credit card holders. Um, This is pretty much what you'd expect. There was a breach from someone who's pretty much offering the infrastructure for Amazon, and this isn't really something you could control as an Amazon user. Even if Amazon implements tip-top security, this isn't something that really concerns them, which also brings a, a good perspective on things that even when you do trust a company, you have to remember that a company is also trusting your data with other companies as well. A good way to prevent this is... As always, minimizing information. Uh, there's, there are websites like privacy.com where you don't have to share your real credit card information. Um, you can always get a physical Amazon gift card in person with cash. That's actually my favorite way to use Amazon. You can pretty much use Amazon with zero personal information by shipping to an Amazon locker and using Amazon gift cards. You don't have to give them an email. You don't have to give them a real email. You don't have to give them a real name. You don't have to give them an address. You don't have to give them any payment method. It's pretty nice and you don't have to worry about these breaches when they happen.
1: On that topic, another data breach is the networking company Ubiquity. So if you've never heard of Ubiquity, they make networking equipment, routers and switches and things like that, that are designed to be enterprise level, but extremely user-friendly. So at this time, they're not, certain what data exactly was exposed, but it could have included name, email address, uh, encrypted passwords. It could include phone number and regular address if you put that information into your profile. So the important thing here is to remember that anything connected to the internet is potentially risky. And again, that data minimization, you know, you've
0: got to be careful what information you give people and
1: if they really need that information in the
0: first place. Another data breach happened with T-Mobile, the cell company that involved exposed phone numbers and call records. That is pretty much it, that's, that's the story. The best thing to do is to register for a cell provider that doesn't require any real information. Um, there are people who actually offer the T-Mobile service without you needing to go through T-Mobile and give them your social security number and register your entire identity to your cell plan. Um, These are prepaid plans. You can go to your local convenience store and get some there. Mint.com uses T-Mobile. Nissan also suffered a data breach. No customer information, but interestingly, what
1: was leaked was the source code for a lot of their apps. So as I'm sure most of us are aware nowadays, cars are becoming increasingly digital, and they've got, I believe they're called infotainment centers, where you know it used to be just a radio, but nowadays it's got apps, and it's got Spotify, and it's got your navigation and all kinds of cool stuff. And, of course every company keeps that proprietary under wraps well someone got a hold of it and leaked it and let's see it was from a git server that was left exposed with default username and password
0: admin admin
1: <laughs> real real quick do you listen to darknet diaries
0: i i've tried i i'm gonna be honest i just i don't have time to listen and watch as many things as i wish i did
1: i totally in the same boat i understand um i i only get to listen to so many podcasts because i commute a long way for work Uh, His latest episode, he interviewed a couple of former NSA cryptographers, and one of them revealed that literally the first hack that the NSA found was (laughs) admin-admin, people not changing the defaults. So 40 years later, here we are still struggling with this. While it's unfortunate, hopefully this will lead to possibly better secured apps now that security researchers can actually get their eyes on the source code, and maybe they'll find weaknesses and report them to Nissan. But I think the real takeaway here is just remember to always change the default passwords. There's... Even if it's not admin-admin, I promise you there's tons of websites out there that'll tell you the default password for routers and Alexas and whatever you can think of. So always remember to change your default passwords, especially if it's something that connects to the internet. Definitely.
0: And on the note with uh, internet-connected devices, Amazon's Ring Neighbors app exposed users' precise locations and home addresses. Uh, Is there like a big surprise bell that we can use? (laughs) Like, who would have thought that this uh, internet connected devices that was known to have security problems would finally lead to some uh, personally identifiable information being exposed? I I hate being the person to say the best solution is just not to buy these things in the first place. But that kind of is currently the best solution in regards to Internet of Things devices. Uh, You can either self host and develop something yourself, or you can just choose not to use these services that are just known to have security weaknesses and privacy concerns. Uh, do you have another prevention here, Nathan, or is that really it?
1: I, I think that's about it for most people. If you're tech savvy, I've heard that putting smart devices on a VLAN is good for security. But I mean, unless you really jump through some hoops, I don't think that's going to protect you from like location leaks and metadata and all the other issues with them. Yeah,
0: so. yeah, it's just one of those things. Like, just don't use it.
1: We talked about ransomware earlier, and Henry mentioned to be careful not to click on phishing links and things like that. This story is very similar to that. There's a huge problem right now with fake collaboration apps that are stealing data. So everybody's working home or working from home nowadays in light of the pandemic, and that means that now the IT network has to expand. They have to build VPN tunnels so people can connect to the work network, and they have to get everybody installed software on their home devices and stuff like that. And unfortunately, a lot of cyber criminals are taking advantage of that. So they're creating fake apps. The article doesn't really specify whether they're uh, knockoffs of, like, you know, Microsoft Office or something like that. But they are apps that are publicly designed to improve productivity and collaboration and stuff like that. But in reality, it's just phishing and it's designed to get into your, your accounts and steal passwords and steal data and all that kind of stuff. So first of all, it's best not to mix personal and work devices. If that's a possibility, I know that's not an option for everybody, but be careful what you download, um, run it past your IT department. If you think you found something that could be helpful for work, let your IT guys know, let them vet it and just be careful what you put on your, any device because Once you download something, you're giving it a lot of power and control, so you need to be careful.
0: And on the topic of workspaces, Microsoft Teams is coming under uh, increasing pressure because they are essentially tracking their employees in a very invasive way. You know, I'm personally mixed on this. I I think there is a degree of, uh, like, when you work for a company, I do think a company has the ability to to handle certain things. But I think, uh, let me let me kind of go through some of the things that are collected, and I think I'll let you make your own decision on if this goes too far. And it breaks down several different things, including chats, voicemails, shared meetings, files, transcriptions, profile details, including email addresses, phone numbers. There is a massive list you're going to see if you're watching the podcast in the video format. I think it is important to mention that even uh, if we were to assume this was a real world environment, like if you were at a physical office, would you be okay with your boss looking over your shoulder the entire time? I think that's a better analogy for this because people think, well, yeah, like the company is responsible for what you're doing on a work device, so it's only fair for them to be able to get this information. And while that's true, I also think that in a real physical workspace, people still have a little bit of individual privacy and trust inside an environment, which isn't quite possible when working remotely, and it's creating this environment where people are being tracked for every little thing they do.
1: So a former employee of the security company ADT admits that they hacked into over 200 cameras and spied s- mostly on naked women and couples having sex. So um yeah, I mean that's that's <laughs> pretty much what you hear is what you get and I uh personally I'm on the fence when it comes to security systems in general. I've heard some people say that they don't really work because a lot of the time they think uh they being the the security company they think that it might be a false positive or something, so it takes them a while to actually call the cops and get a response. But either way, whether or not you go with something like that, this is a lot like what we were just talking about with the the ring doorbells. Is you got to be careful, or the ring app, you got to be careful who you're trusting with this information, and you got to remember that if it's not zero knowledge or end to end encrypted, that means somebody
0: else has access to it. So I, I will say, like, part of me, uh, th- there's a secret side of me that's like, you know, maybe this guy was just. He was just making sure they were practicing safe sex. <laughs> like that, that, he wasn't actually getting off on this. There was nothing more to he do it. He meant so well. <laughs> and now we're going to move on to research. The first research is more of a proof of concept. Um, this isn't something you likely have to worry about in your day-to-day life. So academics have turned RAM, the RAM in your computer, you know, 16 gigabytes of RAM, 32 gigabytes of RAM. They've turned those into Wi-Fi cards to steal data from air-gapped systems, AirGapped is pretty much a computer which is offline. So if you had a desktop behind you that's only plugged in, that never connects to the internet and has no direct access to anything, that's an AirGapped system, which makes this, again, a cooler proof of concept because they can essentially take the RAM from that computer and be able to communicate with another device that is online. Um, it's it's very interesting. It's called AirFi. And they're, it's just one of many of these AirGapped system hacks that really you shouldn't need to worry about day to day, but it's just a really cool proof of concept that really nails home how really anything can be hacked with enough time and resources.
1: So the next interesting uh, research story is about a researcher who discovered that you can use facial recognition to reveal someone's political party. The average person, according to this research, has about a 50-50 chance of correctly guessing someone's uh, political leaning just by looking at their face. This algorithm has as much as a 71% accuracy rating. The The reason he came forward with this research is he's like, hey, this is potentially very dangerous, and this is something we need to talk about and address now before it gets abused. So very, very interesting study that I was surprised to read about. The,
0: the final research article is really not an article. It's an entire study, which I know it's 120 pages, and I'm going to sound crazy for recommending you read every page, but you really should. It talks about probably everything you've ever wondered about in regards to data security. Is iOS more secure than Android? Why? What are the histories of Apple security features? What are the histories of Android security features? Um, jailbreaking and software exploits, are those some, something you should do? How does law enforcement bypass an iOS device, or can they? And how does law enforcement bypass Android devices, Can they? How do they? I mean, I can keep going. It's 120 pages long, just talking about the security and privacy of these two mobile platforms. And it is incredibly well done. Uh, It couldn't be more thorough. It's pretty cool, and I really recommend checking that out.
1: Okay, so that was the research section, and now we are moving into politics. And we're going to start here in the United States. Specifically, we're going to start in New York City. Number one is that the New York City Council has voted to prohibit businesses from using facial recognition without public notice. I think that's pretty amazing that they're forcing more transparency on businesses regarding things like that. Uh, I've spoken many times on my podcast about how facial recognition is just not quite reliable and not quite where we need it to be just yet so i think that's great that they're pushing for transparency the governor of new york has suspended the use of facial recognition in schools pending a study on facial recognition and its further consequences and you know just everything about it like i said facial recognition is not perfect and i think that's really awesome that the governor is saying you know hold on before we start using this let's go ahead and study it let's do some research let's make sure that we know what we're getting into We have evidence that yet another Muslim prayer app was tracking users and selling that data to specifically a U.S. contractor that works with the U.S. uh, Customs and Border Patrol and Immigration. Some of you may remember that uh, a very similar story happened, I believe, middle of last year or late last year. And unfortunately, this is just like that. You know, there's an app out there. Uh, I am not Muslim, but I've, I've spoken to a few Muslims. Muslims are, from what I understand, required to pray several times a day, and they have to face east towards Mecca. And so, understandably, it's helpful for people who are Muslim to be able to download an app that reminds them to pray and tells them which direction to face and stuff like that. And unfortunately, those apps are... Selling location data and the U.S., among other people, is buying it.
0: Up next, also, the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency has admitted to buying citizens' location data. So even if you're not that demographic, um, it doesn't really matter. I feel like I've repeated the story every surveillance report for the last five or six of them. Because this just happens almost every single time. Pretty much the way these work is you open an application, it collects your data, and that data can be sold and shared with third parties, um, including the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency, and by the way, this is a giant workaround because, in the Constitution, the U.S. government can't start tracking location data of its citizens, and they can't do that without a warrant.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's it's exactly like what you were saying about uh, Amazon and how they're using a third-party processor. Unfortunately, a lot of apps that use your location and they may have a good reason for using your location, like the Muslim one, but a lot of the time they don't have the infrastructure to support location features by themselves, so they have to rely on this third party, and the third party is the one that's selling this data. Our next story is about schools using FBI grade phone hacking technology, and unfortunately, this is something that's becoming more and more common. Schools are integrating a lot of surveillance technology, and I I understand it. I, I don't say I approve of it, but I understand the value in being able to use facial recognition to identify who should be on campus and who shouldn't. Or I do believe that this technology needs to be very heavily restricted, heavily monitored and we just need to be aware
0: of what they're using. Next up, whether or not you you're happy about it, we have a new president in the United States and part of that means that we're going to have a new FCC appointment. Uh, We get to replace the most hated man on the internet, uh, Ajit Pai with uh, Jessica rosen I really hope I pronounced that right. Um, But she's been pro-net neutrality for many years, so a lot of people are rejoicing that this is likely a big win in regards to net neutrality and the open access to the Internet.
1: Okay, moving on to international stories, we're going to head over to Nigeria, where Nigeria, the government, is now ordering mobile users to link their phones to their ID numbers. So from what I understand, these ID numbers, it's a national ID number similar to how here in the U.S. we have like a social security number. So the reason this is going to cause problems is that according to this article from Bloomberg, only 41.5 million Nigerians have a national identity number. According to Wikipedia, the 2006 census showed that there are 140 million Nigerians. And in 2020, they estimate 206 million. So this is going to be the vast majority of the population that will lose access to cell phones and all of the... The advantages that come with that, because, I mean, let's be honest, mobile phones have revolutionized the world for a lot of people and have allowed access to the internet and the information that it contains and the commerce and the banking and just everything. Unfortunately, this story really puts a lot of people at risk of losing access to all of that. And, of course, it violates their privacy, too, because now you've got a phone number that is permanently linked to that specific person.
0: You know what's interesting? Like, they're requiring this, and we might be over here like, oh, man, they're requiring this. And then uh, here in the U.S., people just optionally go to their cell company just give them their social security number. It's like, okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and people don't even think about it. Like, you were talking about that earlier. The only time you have to give your social is if you're buying a phone on a credit plan. And then, of course, they have to, like, run your credit. But if you buy a phone in cash, they really don't need your social for any reason. And yet still, people would just hand it over if they're asked. They don't.
0: They don't stop and be like, does this person really need this? All right. So up next, contact tracing has been something that we've talked about for almost a year now. Man, uh, time flies. So the Singapore police uh, pretty much has announced that under the country's criminal procedure code, the Singapore police force can obtain any data, including information gathered by contact tracing used inside their country. Um, This is a concern because contact tracing has always been promised to be used for only uh, health purposes to try to keep people safe and now it, there's a possibility that this contact tracing data can be used for criminal investigations which is already you know it's you know that seems fine right i think most of us can be like okay like, it's, it's a criminal it's a criminal investigation they're using public data for the most part it's whatever the problem is it's a slippery slope right this originally was just for health data now it's for criminal investigations what's next that it's going to be used for
1: on a slightly different note in new zealand their central bank data system was hacked the bank was accessed through reserve bank of new zealand it's a third party they used to share files and store files in the cloud you know it's just again it's a reminder that once you hand over that data it's you don't know what they're going to do with it you don't know what third party systems they use okay and that was the end of politics which brings us to the foss section free and open source software so first off we're going to talk about an article from tech republic where it says that out of 1,200 FOSS contributors, many open source developers say that securing their code is a low priority. Uh, the exact headline was, soul withering waste of time. Very colorful. It is just a reminder that open source is definitely better and superior, in, in my opinion, but it is important to note that open source does not automatically equal totally secure or totally private. Open source literally just means that the source code is visible. I mean... Uh, The example I like to use is malware. Once a new malware gets discovered, then researchers, they have their own GitHub type website where they'll post it and other researchers can pull it and pick it apart and run it in a sandbox. And technically that is now open source, but it's still malware. So it's important to remember that open source is better, but it's not automatically safe or private by design. All right. If you are a Linux Mint user, uh, version twenty point one is now available and it is a long-term support release so mint is a very popular version of linux it was the first version that i used to cut my teeth on it looks very similar to microsoft uh, windows xp super user-friendly very awesome i totally recommend it especially if you're new to linux and the newest version is now out the first stable release 20.1 um That's pretty much all there is to it.
0: Linux Mint is up to date, and now Wine is too. So Wine's a compatibility layer to allow some Windows programs to run on Linux. And Wine is now in version 6.0 with 8,000 changes. Um, I'm sure it's not that as extreme as it sounds, but they are on a new major release, um, and it's pretty exciting to see these kind of things come out. It's how some people can even run Photoshop on Linux directly, though um, it has some iffy support, as you can imagine. Um, But it's kind of cool. It's always nice to see these updates, and yeah.
1: Go on. Google has released details about some bugs that were present in Signal, Facebook Messenger, Google, even uh, FaceTime, if I'm reading this article correctly. The good news is they've all been patched. Remember to keep your stuff up to date, and just as always assume anything you put in digital format is public record even if it's something like signal which is world-renowned encryption just still you got to be careful and you got to be vigilant
0: and the final article this week in regards to the open source community is there has been a new botnet called freakout which works on linux systems that are running unpatched software so before we even get into this remember keep your software up to date just like nate just said for that last story just remember that just because you're on linux doesn't mean you're fully secure and you're bulletproof um, to the core because you're really not. And now we are down to our final category, which is the misfits. And it's also going to have this time around kind of a secondary category at the very end, which includes guides as well. And those will be covered by Nathan. Uh, To start with the misfits, Amazon has decided to release a product which scans your body to make perfectly fitting shirts. It's called the made for you page. (laughs) So (laughs) pretty fun stuff. Up next... This is um, kind of a pretty new area. We've already talked about car security and privacy a lot on our YouTube channel. We even talked about the Nissan thing today. There's a lot of data that cars collect, and it's actually now been used in some criminal investigations, including when people buckled their seatbelt, when people started the car, what the phone saw, when the phone was plugged in. These are all things that your car has access to, and it actually keeps a log of this information. So it's important to realize that cars are collecting Pretty much the same kind of data that you'd expect your phone to be collecting. Up next, a very interesting story came out where (laughs) hackers have threatened to leak plastic surgery pictures. They pretty much, as you'd expect, they got into a system, they got before and after pictures of people who got plastic surgery, and they threatened to leak them. That's pretty much it. It's pretty, um, one of those new situations we probably didn't think of that would happen. (laughs)
1: Our next story takes us to the UK, back to the world of online dating, and police are warning of extortion attempts in online dating scams and chats. Be careful what you put online. If you meet somebody online, you know, sending, not trying to be graphic, but like sending nudes is a thing that people do sometimes nowadays, and that's totally up to you if you decide to do that, but just be aware that you really don't... (laughs) (laughs) Some people, yes. Um, You know, just the the point is to be aware who you are are sending that to and that you probably don't know them that well and they may not be a trustworthy person and you don't know if they're going to screenshot that and share it around. That specifically was from the UK, but I think that applies to anyone. So last but not least, we got a few guides here. Uh, From ZDNet, we have a guide on how to secure your Google account. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us, even in the privacy community, have to rely on Google in some form or another either to use YouTube or maybe we just have that Google account we had for 15 years and it would be irresponsible to delete it so this guide talks about making a strong password using two step uh, recovery codes, stuff that really can apply to any account And on the topic of two-factor, ZDNet also posted a guide on how to use two-factor. If you're new to two-factor or you're curious about it, that is a great guide to read. ZDNet posted an article arguing that it's not enough to spread awareness about security. It's time for leaders in security to change their behaviors and basically set the example. And I wanted to share this article because I don't think personally that that applies just to the big names and the leaders. I think that applies to all of us, you know, which is one of the reasons that, uh, Over on my website, I preach very low-level changes, but I still go above and beyond and do some extra stuff as well because I want to lead by example, and I think it's important that all of us do that. Someone posted a paper countering the nothing-to-hide argument, which I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with, the whole idea that we shouldn't worry about our privacy because we have nothing to hide. This person from F-Secure, which is a research company, a cyber research company, lays out several arguments for why you do, in fact, have something to hide. And I really agree with almost all of the arguments they make here. So this is definitely worth a read. And last but not least, I have two guides. One is called Close the Curtains, A Practical Guide to Privacy. And the other is called Online Privacy, How to Get Off the Radar with Ease, Noob Friendly. And these are both really short, really great guides about how to get started on your privacy journey it's probably nothing new to anyone who's listening to this but if you have anyone in your life who is new to this and just taking their first steps then maybe consider sending them
0: one or both of these articles well that was everything for surveillance Support 27 i want to give a major thank you to nathan for coming on and helping us out with this next week's surveillance Support again is going to be all him uh, so I'm very excited to see what he puts together. I'm really excited to hear his thoughts and I'm sure that it's going to be fantastic. So make sure to tune in next week. We're actually trying to do this every week now because we have some more help with Nathan.
1: Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be part of this and I'm excited to come back next week and share whatever current events we will have to discuss at that time.
0: Yeah, totally. And uh, thank you all for watching again. This this is always fun to do and I'm glad that we're starting off 2021 with the surveillance support. Thank you for watching. Make sure to follow or subscribe, wherever you're watching from. This is an RSS. I don't care. Just follow, subscribe, and tune in every week to make sure you're staying safe and secure out there. And also, make sure to share it with other people too. Make sure to check out the new oil. Uh, That is Nathan's website. He has a ton of great resources there. And see you all next time.